So those three trends I've been looking at for a long time now and trying to understand what makes us different, what's keeping us from making headway in these three areas. And then about a year and a half ago, I came across research by a professor and researcher at Illinois State University, and he has actually done the research and conducted studies that show the correlation between an interest in IT as a career and the prevalence of autistic tendencies in individuals. So you think about that for a second, okay? It's it's sort of a duh moment. Like, look at all the stereotypes. Look at, you know, Big Bang Theory and the IT crowd and all, all of these things and Dilbert, right? Like, okay, we get it. Not saying that all IT people are autistic, but there is scientifically proven a higher prevalence of autistic tendencies in people who have that interest in IT. Welcome to Elevate Your Career, the podcast dedicated to empowering individuals from all walks of life as they navigate the ever-changing landscape of their chosen fields. In this show, we'll be bringing on a diverse range of professionals from various career stages to uncover the secrets behind achieving success in any industry. We'll explore how they achieved their career goals and the path they took to get there. Your host is none other than Nicole McMacken. CEO of the Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, an award-winning information technology solutions and staffing provider. Now let's get to the show. I cannot express enough how delighted I am to have the renowned author, C-suite executive, coach and mentor, Rachel Lockett, author of The Technology Doesn't Matter, Prioritizing the People in IT and Business Alignment on our podcast today. There's a vast amount of personal takeaways throughout our conversation that you will not want to miss. We will discuss how you know when you are challenging yourself, how to elevate your position by simply using a few demonstrated techniques in our own neurological makeup, and why some industries are better for certain types of people than others. Rachel's a gifted speaker who is very down to earth and believes the most conducive way to understand is through storytelling. And that is exactly what she does today. Rachel, welcome to the program. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate it. So funny enough, Rachel and I were introduced about six weeks ago. And not only is Rachel a renowned author, a C-suite executive, a new speaker for our Women in Leadership course, but now a podcast friend of mine as well. So super <laughs> excited that you're here. It's been a whirlwind six weeks. I know it has. I mean, you know, what, what's next six weeks? What's that going right? to do? <laughs> um, but Rachel, I definitely plan on jumping into your book during this conversation, but wanted to share with the listeners a little bit more about your journey to the C-suite. Uh, but before that, I love to start off the podcast with a fun fact about you. So would you mind sharing with us a fun fact, perhaps that not a lot of people know about you, but um, just, you know, just to, to bring us a little closer into you? Sure, sure. Well, you know, they say the most challenging part of running a marathon is working it into every conversation that you have after running the marathon. So I'm actually a pretty accomplished runner because I don't have a problem um, working that into conversation. So I'm going to say the fact that I've run three marathons um, was quite an accomplishment. But if if that's not interesting enough, I'll also add in I was a uh, 
rock and roll morning show co-host, radio disc jockey for a while. That that's probably the most obscure random thing that very few people know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. I did not know. Well, I did not know either of those, but that is really interesting. I would have never known. So we'll have to talk about that off podcast because I I want to know more. Um, But if you can, obviously this podcast is based around elevating one's career, right? Helping elevate someone who potentially could be looking at going to your level or maybe just, just starting out. And I'd love to better understand your journey you know, what was the impetus for you to to go into this role? And um, just overall, any nuggets that you could offer our listeners? Sure. Yeah. Well, sometimes I look back and it's kind of amazing to me that I ended up where I am because when I was in high school, I was determined to be an actress. I was in theater. I was in all of the plays in high school and I was going to be an actress. And then somewhere along the end of my senior year, I decided, you know, that was fun but I don't think I want to do it for a living. I think I'd like to do something with a higher statistical probability of, you know, being able to afford a house and drive a car and eat food. So I looked and I said, well, what else am I good at? And I realized as I was spending all of my time down in kind of the English wing of my high school with, you know, the creative writing and the drama and the and the advanced acting and directing classes and, and that whole wing of the school, I was always helping my teachers, my English teachers, helping them figure out how to use the computers. And how, and I even, I was the teacher's aide for one of them over my study hall. And she would have me go in and teach her class how to use the computers to write their research papers because she didn't want to touch them. And I thought, well, that's something else I seem to be pretty good at. And of course it was the mid nineties. So if you could plug in a computer, you could get a job in IT. And so I decided to, to totally shift, like really literally, I was already accepted to three theater schools. And at the end of my senior year, when it was time to go register for classes, I changed my mind and I switched and, and signed up for all the computer classes I could take and then set me off on this whole different trajectory. And I, I'm glad I did because I love it. I love what I do. And I think that I get to use that passion that, you know, the communication skills and I'm not afraid of public speaking and that whole side of of my personality, I get to use it as a differentiating factor in my career today. Uh, so that's kind of the start. I can, you know, I can keep going further if you yeah, want. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm, I'm super interested. So at that time, so in the '90s, right? Probably not a lot of women in technology. Ah. I would, I would think. And right. how, how did you, you know? deal with that, right? Were were there any obstacles for you or were people, I don't know. Oh gosh, she's a woman. She, you know, she get back at home. Right. But my very first job, I was, I was hired as a programmer. Uh, I thought I was applying for a job as just, uh, you know, kind of what I would call like a data monkey, just loading data from 3480 tracks and nine track reels onto a server. And I got a a little ways into the interview process and realized, oh my gosh, they're interviewing me for a programmer role. And I thought, well, what the heck? Let's give this a shot. And I got the job and walked in and realized I'm the only woman in a team of probably 12 to 15 men who were all old enough to be my father. And that was strange and that was weird, but the whole thing was strange and weird. Like, I'm going to be a programmer? Right, right. And it was my first quote unquote real job. I'm making air quotes, um, you know, after being a waitress and and whatever. So it was, it was different and it was unfamiliar, but everything about it was unfamiliar. So I kind of didn't really notice the being the only female part didn't stick out as the most 
bizarre part of that whole situation. And I've always had this attitude and this approach of just jumping in and figure it out and not being afraid to learn something new, maybe fail. Um, and so I actually went home from that job. I mean, I'm a programmer, right? I have a business card and everything. I went home from that job every day for the first two weeks. And I told my parents and my fiance at the time, I said, look, you guys, I don't want you to be disappointed. So I'm going to let you know tomorrow, they're going to realize that I have no idea what I'm doing and they're going to fire me. And I kept saying that for a couple of weeks and I ended up working for that company for 14 years. Okay. That, that is so interesting because I think so many people have self-doubt, you know, they sure. call it imposter syndrome now, yep. right? Almost 90% of the entire population. And so yeah. you seem to me just in our conversation, a little bit of a risk taker, right? Yeah. And we didn't know to call it imposter syndrome back then, again, mid nineties, it didn't right. have a rule that I'm aware of. Um, but it was just that, that feeling of who thought it was a good idea to put me in this room. And I've encountered that so many times throughout my career later on in that same company they would bring me in and I was 21 years old and they would bring me in to speak to the head of marketing for fortune 500 companies about this database that we were developing to, to manage their worldwide marketing registration database. And I'm sitting there thinking, who let me in this room? Whose <laughs> idea was that? Right. <laughs> I would just do my best and lean into it. And I was always thrilled and excited by the challenge and the opportunity. And that attitude, that mentality just kept leading to more and more opportunities. And so my, my sphere of influence, my, my scope of my responsibility just kept expanding because I was willing to do whatever, to try right. anything. Sure, right. I'll give it a shot. Right. <laughs> because you were not, you were not afraid, right? And you probably had a very curious mind. And I think, you know, having kind of going with the flow and going with opportunities, oftentimes uh, in our women in leadership courses, I say it is crucial to make yourself uncomfortable at least once a day. And I mean, not uncomfortable walking 10 miles or uncomfortable sitting in a chair, uncomfortable getting out of your comfort zone, saying something, asking a question, right? Help me understand. I would be interested in exploring that, you know, just putting yourself out there. And it's amazing, like what you've been doing, right? And how how your career's evolved simply by saying, hell, why not? And you know what? I may not be the best. And tomorrow they're going to, don't be shocked. I might not be here, you know, any longer. But look, I mean, you putting yourself in that situation, more and more and more opportunities came your way. I mean, that's a big lesson, I think, for everyone. Absolutely. And when you feel that, you know, that kind of uncomfortable feeling in the pit of your stomach and your hands get clammy and you're getting a little shaky, that's when you're learning. Don't, don't shy away from that. Don't run away from it. Lean into that and realize I'm learning something here. All those moments in life where I go, I had no idea how much I didn't know, you know, that's when you're learning and, and you're growing and you're, you're taking that risk. And that's when you have the greatest opportunity for reward. Yeah. 100%. I agree. And it's, it's, Interesting. Um, I often tell people, you know, they're stuck in their career. And I said, Well, did you apply? Did you apply for the position? No, I don't. I don't I'm just not qualified. And if you don't apply, you will never, ever get there. And I'm, in my experience, in particular for women, right, who are applying for positions, they get interviewed and they get put on a track. Hey, we know that you want to move into this area and we're going to create a roadmap for you. Or, you know what? Yes, 
you don't have all of the skill sets, but yes, we want you here. We see that you have a majority of the things that we're looking for and soft skills, and we can teach you some of the hard skills. So that's the lesson, right? Is is lean into it, right? And the minute I love Rachel, what you said, the minute you start feeling the tingling and the butterflies in your stomach, hell, you are absolutely learning. You are making yourself uncomfortable. You are growing as a human being. It's fantastic. And that reminds me of the story. You and I talked about this previously. I, I, I loved your reaction to it when I told you the story of how I ended up as the CIO for the Polad companies. Yes, please, please share this. This is my favorite story, by the way. I <laughs> so literally I, had me in tears. By the I way. know. I was so surprised. I was like, wow, there must be something there. Um, so I had spent 14 years with, with one organization um, learned so much, grew in my career, you know, kind of climbed the ladder, if you will, IT supervisor, IT manager, IT director, had responsibility, you know, as IT director for over multiple companies. I, I got the chance to work in some other areas for a while. I was an HR manager. I was a quality assurance manager. I was an accounting manager. So I got this well-rounded um, exposure to other sides of the business. And then I moved to uh, the Polad organization. And I was just with one of the operating companies at the time. But I was I was the vice president of IT for one of the operating companies, but I had some extra time. And so they they kept having me get involved in some other side projects and, and assessments. Well, then the ownership of the parent company came along and they said, you know, we really don't understand what we have in terms of strengths and, and weaknesses and opportunities and risks across all of our companies when it comes to IT and especially information security and disaster recovery. And so they asked a couple of us to do an assessment project, sort of give them a report card and tell them what they have. And especially they wanted to understand what risks they had. And then they also asked the question, what leadership do we need? What what technology capabilities and leadership do we need across this whole organization? Because at the time they had none. They were just you know, the parent company was outsourcing their their help desk and their infrastructure, but they had no technology leadership. So there was a couple of us, two two people who were assigned the task, myself and one other person were assigned the task of conducting this assessment. So we went out to all of the operating companies, interviewed the technology leaders and the business leaders and started putting together this report card of what they had. And then we started framing up a recommendation for what they needed in terms of leadership moving forward. Well, we had started to frame up that recommendation, and it was going to be a CIO position that would have strategic leadership responsibility for the whole organization and would set information security standards for the whole organization, but not operational leadership, only only operational leadership for the parent company. Well, as we were just formulating this recommendation, all of a sudden the owners came along and they they said, we're going to add a third person to your team. So they brought in this third guy. His name was Ken. And Ken had worked with all of the executives and the owners for many years in the past. He had already been the CIO for a a large Fortune 100 company that everyone would know would know the name. <laughs> you might be drinking one right now, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to drop that name. But uh, anyway, he had, you know he was very experienced. He'd gone off and done a three year engagement in Europe and had come back was doing some private consulting while he was looking for his last job, okay? Now, I see what's going on here. I'm not dumb. I I know we're writing Ken's job description, right? He's worked with them all before. He has all this great experience. He's looking for his last job. This is perfect for him. 
Uh, and so me and the other you know, member of the team, we each had kind of different reactions. Mine was to just be very open. And I, I really enjoyed working with Ken and got to know him. We would joke around. I would ask him if you know he had uh, found a house here in, in the Twin Cities yet because he was living in Chicago at the time. And then one day it was just him and I sitting down together and having a chat. And I said, hey, uh, you know, I have a question for you. So when we make this recommendation and when they offer you this job, because, you know, like I said, I already been teasing him about, you know, when are you going to move the family here? So when they offer you this job, when you take over as the CIO for the organization, if you think that I'm ready and qualified and capable, would you continue to be a mentor to me and maybe even help prepare me to take over this role when you do retire? Because he had already said he wanted to retire in five to six years. I said, would you help me you know, be ready to take over that role and, and be considered for that position when you do retire? And he laughed and he said, Rachel, there's no guarantee that they're going to offer it to me or that I would accept. But he said, but if that is what happens, he said, yes, I would really, I would like that. I think that would, that would be great. And so I left that meeting. I went home and I was thrilled because I had my career planned out, right? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing here that I love for another five or six years. And then I'm going to be possibly the CIO of the pool ad companies. Wow. You know, so then I go home and I can't wait to tell my husband, look, I've got my whole career planned out. So I just sat back. And uh, well, we made our recommendation and I just sat back and waited for the announcement to come out. And I waited and I waited and it never came. And then I got a phone call from the executive who had kind of been our, our executive sponsor overseeing us on the assessment project. And he said, hey, Rachel, you know that recommendation that you guys made to hire a CIO? He said, we are going to do that. We're going to be posting that position next week. And I'm just calling to let you know so that you can apply. And I said, "Well." what happened to Ken? <laughs> and this, this executive said to me, he said, well, we talked to him and it just isn't the right fit for him or for us. But I found out later that they asked Ken who they should hire in the role, this newly created role of CIO. And he told them that I was the only one who was qualified. Oh my God. I'm telling you, Rachel, I'm literally, I have tears in my eyes right now. It is such a touching story of beyond and it's amazing. And continue, continue. But this <laughs> well, is, that, I've got to tell you. That's how I ended up as the CIO of the Polak Company. It's a little earlier than I thought, a little earlier than I'd planned, but it's been wonderful. And, and when I look back at that, I think there's a few things there. Um, first of all, it's a combination of that, that willingness to step up and ask for what we want. But I also, I did so with some humility, right? I didn't say, I'm ready for this. I want this. This is mine for the taking. I said, hey, if you if you think I'm qualified and, and capable, would you help me be prepared and, and help me be ready for this? And so I it's given, the courageous ask again. Yeah, the yeah, humble, but also courageous humility. Yes, yes. And I've given this advice to many women, and not just women, people who are looking for that next level or looking for that next step. And a lot of times when you just demand it or, you know, just simply ask without without giving anything in the, in the ask, um, sometimes, you know, the answer is no, sometimes it's yes, but a lot of times it's no, but very often, if the question is asking that key person, asking them, what do you feel that I need in order to be ready for this? That causes them to sit back and reflect and go, oh, well, maybe not as much as I thought. Even just asking the question and showing that humility and that willingness to learn and grow is sometimes what gets 
what gets you over the hump in in that decision maker's mind of oh maybe they are ready yeah yeah so no it's it's am, it's amazing and that is such a huge takeaway and and now I've heard the story twice and I know you're coming on our women in leadership course and you're going to tell it a third time it'll probably bring me to tears as well but just how you positioned it Ken how how thoughtful he was right and and I I think you're so right if you have genuine dialogue and care and mm-hmm. and for each other right and respect for each other's as human beings it's amazing what will happen at that point so I, I think it's it's amazing so it, I was going to ask you what advice would you give your younger self but I'm listening to your career and your trajectory and to me I think you've done everything right I mean oh, is my. there additional you really have right no, so there's always room for improvement I, I don't heard, know I mean you've heard I, the highlights you've okay, heard okay so so what what advice would you give your younger self? Well, there's a, a lesson I learned, I think, too late, but I'm glad I learned it eventually. Um, and this is something I, I also love to share and talk about. And that is understanding in leadership, you know, we think of ourselves very often as coaches, right? And anybody who's had, you know, kids in soccer or played soccer themselves, you know, you you can kind of think about sitting around the soccer fields on Saturday morning, looking out and there's all the other teams and all the other coaches. I think there's a tendency, and this is certainly the way I was early in my in my career as a new supervisor and manager. There's a tendency to think of the other leaders, the other managers and supervisors as the competing coaches. They're all the coaches of the other teams. And so we're all in a big tournament together competing for the company's resources and the attention of of leadership and budgetary dollars and and this competition, right? And and so all of these other coaches are our competition. That's the temptation is to look at it that way. And what I realized later than I wish, but fortunately soon enough, is that those other coaches, those other leaders and supervisors and managers, those are my teammates on my boss's team. On our, on you know, whether it's the CEO or whoever we report to, we're his team players or her team players, and that leader needs to. They're a coach, and they need to look at us and see their team members playing together and anticipating each other's moves and being there to pass and to receive and to whatever we need to do to play the game and and to achieve the objectives. And so realizing that those individuals are not my competition, they're my teammates. And I need to have just as trusting and productive and effective of a working relationship with them as I want my team, my team members to have with each other. And that made a huge difference for me. That's a huge, a huge point. And it's interesting. I see it all the time. I see it even in my own company. Oftentimes people really trying to make themselves distinct and outside. So for promotion, right. And and that's usually where that comes from. If I'm doing more, if I'm showing that I'm better than, you know, my teammate, everybody wants to be the MVP, right? Everybody wants to be the MVP. And that's such a phenomenal way to look at things. And did you tell that story? I mean, I know you have a lot of subordinates that report up into you. I mean, have you shared that with them as well? That story? Yeah, I love sharing that ex- example. I mean, it's especially true for people who are newer in leadership, or even if they've, you know, if they're in a um, more of an entry level management position. That's where, again, that's where I finally learned the lesson eventually, and that's where it's so critical to learn it because that is key to continuing to progress, right? Because you've got to have 
the support of your peers in order to be, you know, you don't have to be the MVP. You don't have to be, you're not going to be promoted by outperforming your peers. You're going to be promoted more likely when you're supported and lifted up by your peers. Well, I mean, a prime example is you and Ken, Mm -hmm. right? You did not compete with him. You were saying, let me help you get to where you need to get. And and I'd be honored to to be mentored by you, right? And creating that environment of non-competition. And that's probably what he saw. And that's a very mature way of thinking and handling things. And so that was a big elevation point for you in your career. Congratulations. I think a lot of people, you know, don't realize that. And so that's definitely a takeaway. Are you enjoying the episode thus far? We'll be right back after a quick word with our sponsor, Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC. Are you ready to thrive in the ever-evolving tech industry? The tech world is constantly changing, and ITC is your partner for navigating it successfully. Whether you're seeking top-tier tech professionals or the perfect opportunity, we are happy to connect you with talent to transform your business. At ITC, we specialize in placing first-rate, diverse technology talent into corporations with a particular focus on underrepresented groups in tech. We believe in bringing new perspectives and ideas to your team. Together, we can contribute to a more innovative technology industry. Diversity isn't just a buzzword for us, it's in our DNA. Whether you're looking at bringing on more tech talent or you're a tech professional searching for your perfect role and employer, look no further. Take a look at www.irvinetechcorp.com and pick the best option for you. Be part of our mission to create a more inclusive and innovative technology industry. Once again, it's www.irvinetechcorp.com. Now back to the show. Okay, I want to change topics just a little bit. And I want you to talk to me about your book, The Technology Doesn't Matter. Prioritizing the people in IT business alignment. And for you individuals who are non-technical who are listening to this, and she is going to, Rachel's going to share more about her book. I am telling you, I read the book and it's not for IT people necessarily. It's more about engagement, culture, life lessons, how to handle it's throughout the narrative. It's a lot of different stories and and I highly recommend it to anyone. Yeah, of course. And tell me a little bit. What made you want to write the book? Obviously, now knowing that, you know, you're phenomenal in English. So that that helps, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I love writing. I love the power of words. I've also, I, I firmly believe storytelling is an incredibly important and underrated leadership skill. And I have this 25 plus year career of great stories. I mean, and and I've I've been you know, so lucky to be surrounded by an amazing cast of characters in this story and and all of these individual stories. And I needed to capture them. I also love, you know, mentoring and coaching and and helping other people achieve their potential. Writing a book was a way to do that at a broader scale. And so the the book, it's it's been in me for a decade or more, just kind of bursting and, and ready to get out. And of course, the pandemic gave me a little extra time and opportunity to sit down and start writing it. But it has it has been there and, and in the works for a long time. And it was really based on this desire to help both technology leaders and business leaders understand how to work together more effectively to achieve that technology business alignment. So you're right. It's not a technical book. Uh, you know, I'm kind of trying to be a little provocative with the title, the technology doesn't matter, kind of like the world is flat. 
But really what I'm what I'm saying there is, you know, you can even figure out from the subtitle is that at the end of the day, it's not about the technology that's going to create that business alignment. It's the people. And then it's also the process because we have technology implementations that fail all the time. The statistics still say, despite all our efforts, despite agile and all of these things, still 75 to 80 percent of technology projects fail to deliver either they're not on time, they're not on budget, they don't deliver the expected quality outcomes. That's still happening. And it's not because we're picking the wrong technology tools. Products and services that are in that upper right quadrant of the, you know, the Gartner Magic quadrant, the, the leaders, they're part of these failed implementations every day. Because when you look at the reasons, the reasons are all of the people and process issues. It's not gathering all of the requirements. It's not having support from, you know, executive management all the way down. It's not having sufficient resources. It's problems with scheduling. It's, you know, all of these other things. It's not because we picked the right, or we picked the wrong tool. Right. Companies spend millions of dollars doing these assessments and trying to select exactly the right tool. And there might be 10, 15 products or vendors or partners that can get the job done, but we're going to spend all that time making sure we pick the absolute best one and we still don't get it done. It's because of people and the process issues. So I've written the book to try to help shed light on the ways that we can improve the people in the process side in order to achieve that alignment that we're looking for. It's just so interesting to me because with the onset of, you know, everyone's scared, running scared of chat GPT and robotics and, you know, just AI, you know, in general, right? And I believe that humanity will always win out because to your point in the book, there is a high propensity for you have the right technology, but it's it's going to fail, right? It needs a human element to it always, a proper human element. But even if you have AI tools and they're pushing things through, you know, it, it doesn't have, we call it like in the tech world, right? The analysts, the business analysts that go between and really understand what mankind, humans actually want and want to achieve uh, and their overarching goals. And and if you don't have people, right, and you don't have proper communication, I don't know how AI, like you said, you know, you have a different ERP system. Great. You have, you know, SAP, it's top of its class and it's going to do this and it's going to do that. I've seen so many fail and it's not necessarily because like you're, to your point, the technology, it's how do we implement it together um, coordinate, have regard and respect for each other and not try, because I think oftentimes you have a lot of pointing of fingers and saying, no, it's this person, it's this person, I'm the one that's going to save the day, right? And it, it's getting back to your point of individuals trying to, you know, be the next CIO or be the next, you know, individual who gets promoted by the team. And it, it messes up oftentimes you know, what the overall intent of the company is doing, the technology to be able to work together, communicate together effectively. So I, I agree. I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a concern. And I think your book, as you storytell, really touches on every facet. And that's what I was talking about earlier. This isn't necessarily a technology book. This is a life learning book. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's intended to be very much a uh... Uh, leadership and and understanding how we can work better together. I mean, I get into topics, as you know, 
um, topics about better understanding, you know, the stereotypes behind IT, better under, you know, I want to help technology people better understand their business counterparts and business leaders better understand their IT counterparts. And so there's a whole section where we're talking about, you know, stereotypes and neurodiversity and just really trying to understand each other as people first. Then we can start to understand the processes. And then somewhere down the road, technology comes in to support it all and make it work. But first, we have to figure out how to communicate effectively with each other and then how to outline and understand those processes. So you touched on something, my favorite chapter in the book. I think you know this. I am fascinated by it. It's chapter five Mm -hmm. and it's around neurodiversity and the differences and um, individuals, right, within that who are in technology. Would you expand on that and share with our audience? Because I I think it's enlightening. Well, this 25 year plus career, uh, you know, that I've had and I've gained all these stories and experiences. And I've observed three concerning trends over that time. Um, And I'll just kind of lay them out quickly here. The first one we talk about all the time, and that is the gender gap in IT. Um, You know, there are so many more men than women in IT roles all the way up and down the ladder. And we're making we're making progress. There have been improvements, but there's still a long way to go. And I love, you know, mentoring and, and doing job shadows and things like that, especially for um, young women and girls who are interested in STEM careers. But I also like to, if I'm going to help with an issue, I want to understand the root cause. So I've been searching for and trying to understand the root cause for, you know, low these many years. The second trend is the high turnover rate that we have in IT. So we see much higher turnover rates than other highly skilled professions that are just as high demand. And when you look at the CIO level, the average tenure of a CIO is 4.3 years. The rest of the C-suite is more like five or six years. And that is not just at that level. It's all the way up and down. We have much higher turnover rates in IT. And why is that? You know, what makes us different from those other high, highly skilled and in-demand roles? And then the third trend, this one doesn't get talked about as much broadly and generally, but it certainly does in my CIO circles. It is the, the struggle that technology leaders have to be fully included in the business leadership and the executive leadership of the business. Now, we've made strides here as well um, in, you know, actually having com- more companies with a CIO role. And now the, the big thing we're making improvements in is having the CIO report to the CEO instead of being tucked under the CFO or some other um, executive. So we're making strides there. But again, talking with a lot of my peers, it's still a struggle to really feel truly included and have that seat at the table. Because even if we're, you know, we have the right title, we have the right spot in the org chart and we get invited to the to the CEO's, you know, monthly status update meeting and we share our status update and we hear everyone else's, a lot of times that technology leader is still not included in the meetings where the real business of running the business is happening. Still left, you know, left to the side, told about major changes and decisions after they're already decided, after they're already scheduled and planned. And and then and that so that's a real struggle to to get that full inclusion in the executive team. So those three trends I've been looking at for a long time now and trying to understand what makes us different, what's keeping us from making headway in these three areas. And then about a year and a half ago, I came across research by a professor and researcher at Illinois State University, which is my alma mater. So I was it was an article in my um, alumni magazine that caught my interest. But it's a um, researcher and professor named Dr. Ronnie Gia, and he has actually done 
this the research and conducted studies that show the correlation between an interest in IT as a career and a pr- the prevalence of autistic tendencies in individuals. So you think about that for a second. Okay. It's it's sort of a duh moment. Like, look at all the stereotypes. Look at, you know, Big Bang Theory and the IT crowd and all, all of these things and Dilbert, right? Like, okay, we get it. Not saying that all IT people are autistic, but there is scientifically proven a higher prevalence of autistic tendencies in people who have that interest in IT. Well, what are those tendencies? Those tendencies are things like um, difficulty picking up on social cues, a, a desire for precision, wanting to dig in and go into great detail for a long time on topics that are very technical and very interesting to that person, um, not being great at, at communication and interpersonal communication, all of those kind of things that we associate with the stereotypical IT person. Those are autistic tendencies. And I think this expands a little beyond just autism spectrum disorder as well. And again, make, you know, clarifying here, not saying everyone, you know, officially has a diagnosis, but it is a spectrum disorder after all. So you might be far enough along the spectrum to not have an official diagnosis, but still have tendencies, or you may be beyond that diagnostic threshold, but not even know. Um, the, the and, and and when I was reading too, it was, it was in your, in chapter five, they were talking about, um, or Dr. Gio also was talking about the propensity that this is more, um, male dominated yes. than female. And that could explain a little bit more about why you see so many more men gravitate towards technology than women. So that's where this ties back to the three trends. Uh, women or men are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder officially five times more often than women. Now there's a whole other conversation about misdiagnosis or underdiagnosis in women, but still that's a big difference. And so exactly to your point, understanding that helps us to explain that gender gap and see why it's happening in the first place. Not just, at, you know, once you get to the career standpoint, but all the way back, you know, an initial interest starting out much earlier in life. It may just be that neurological difference that makes men have a greater interest. Boys have a higher level of interest in technology than girls. And then you can see how that applies to the fallout all the way through the career. So if we've got, you know, whether it's coding clubs or college classrooms or IT departments that are full of people who exhibit more of those autistic tendencies statistically, they have a higher prevalence of them. Well, that's creating an environment that's not super warm and fuzzy and inclusive because it's a lot of people who aren't great with picking up on social cues, aren't great at interpersonal communication, like to geek out on a specific topic, have that desire for precision. Even if I'm a woman who has an interest in technology, I may get into that environment and realize this just doesn't feel inclusive and warm and fuzzy. I'm going to go hang out with the psychology majors because they're nice to me. They're more right. right? Well, and it's, and it's interesting, hundred percent, but it's interesting to look at the um, percentage of women who are leaving technology. So it's 50% leave technology within 10 years of you know, of working within the field and they're not higher than men. Oh, it's it. Yes. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, the perception is, oh, they're leaving the industry to have families. And, and that's, that's the biggest, no, no, it is not. They're leaving entirely into different fields. Right. And when I read your book and in particular, when we talked about chapter five, you and I, before in a discussion, it was an aha moment for me 
and um, really wanting to have everyone understand this concept because if they can look at it in different eyes, right. And say, okay, I understand how I have to deal with this person instead of getting annoyed, right. right, right. You look at it from a different lens and say, okay, I understand that this person is going to be doing this, this, and this mm-hmm. for years at, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the disc assessment, but yep. I love the disc. I would have all of our employees have their disc assessment and they would put it on the outside of their cubes. Mm-hmm. So before you walked in, to their cube, you would look up and you would see, okay, this person is a high driver or this person gets their energy from, you know, this attribute or they're a supporter or they're, you know, X, Y, Z. And so before they walked in, they would take note of that and it would help them relate to those individuals, you know, and, and it's, it's almost an aha moment for them as it is for you with this discovery or, you know, Dr. Gia, it's, yep. it's incredible. And it you really apply is. it beyond just the male female dynamic and you, and you look at the, okay. So if we know that it people, it departments are going to have a higher prevalence of those tendencies stands to reason then that the business, you know, the marketing teams and the sales teams, they're going to have a lower prevalence, right? It, it's going to, they're going to, you know, have a different neurological makeup or, or tendencies. And those things that those autistic tendencies that are specific to the the stereotypical IT person, those are the things that make it difficult for the more neurotypical business person to relate to them. So we've got this this situation where they're struggling to relate to each other from these two different areas, two different backgrounds, but it's because of that neurological makeup. And what that then comes out as how that, you know, that ends up being exhibited in the workplace is, well, we're going to wait until the last minute to talk to them about this because, you know, oh, they're going to go, they're going to geek out on this one aspect. You know, the conversation is going to be difficult. They're just not fun to talk to. They're going to say, no, 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 we can't do that. And and we hear about that, right? That's, that's all part of the stereotype too. And so it, it creates this difficulty connecting and relating to each other. And I believe that that difficulty in relating to each other is what drives a lot of that higher turnover rate in IT and that yes. struggle that the IT leaders have to be fully included in the business leadership. Certainly yes. there's other reasons and things, you know, playing into it, but I think this is an unexplored and and really significant contributing factor to both of those things. I agree 100%. And it was really interesting. I think you talked about having a gentleman come in and you were doing an open concept, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> an open boardroom concept. style. Yeah. Yeah, boardroom style. So these individuals were going to work as a team and share a little bit with the audience about, you know, how the realization that you came to and, and how you then have to manage to that. Right. Cause I think it's important in well, again, recognizing it was early in my career as well, that I learned this lesson. I wanted everyone to be together in the same room because, you know, we had this one really skilled developer who was kind of driving the architecture and we're working on this intense project and we're all dedicated, you know, to the success of this project. So I wanted everyone to be together in the same room. I'm a young idealistic manager and I think, you know, everyone must realize this is going to be great. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to get so much done. We can all bounce questions off of each other at any time. We're just a few days into it. And I realized that this, you know, this senior architect, he's not, he's not loving it. He's got his headphones on and I can tell he's cranking rap music on his headphones and he's trying to shut the rest of us out. And I'm going, well, this isn't what I had in mind. This this wasn't my grand idea of this wonderful collaborative room that we were gonna we we're gonna use here. And so I talked to him, and he says to me, 
yeah, I can't do this. If we're going to have to keep doing this, I'm, I'm out like gone. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, but wait, this is a phenomenal idea where we're going to group share. What do you mean? Yeah. But, you know, and I had to kind of go home and, and do some soul searching and, and came to the realization that, oh, not everybody likes to work the way I do. Not everybody thinks this is grand and, and wonderful. And so, of course, we, you know, disbanded the, the war room concept and we all went back to our desks. We planned scheduled time when we could get together and talk and ask questions. And, and that really was enlightening for me. And where that, you know, now plays out in the future is I think I, what I want to do with my book is give awareness to business leaders of the need to, you know, almost think of it as like an accommodation, right? There are people who again, diagnosis or not, they work differently. And if you're going to draw the most productivity and, and creativity and, and value and benefit out of your employees, you've got to give them the environment that is most conducive to that for them. And in a department full of, you know, introverted people with, with some of these, uh, you know, neurodivergent tendencies, maybe that's a remote work, you know, pandemic was a godsend for a lot of yep. people. Um, it's, you know, structuring it so that they don't have those frequent distractions and interruptions. Because again, another one of the, the typical traits is distractions become a complete derailment. They can't just step back into what they were doing in, inside of a few minutes. It throws them off for hours, right? And so I, I was joking with someone about this just the other day. There was a big trend with, you know, I think they were teaching it in MBA schools that that they needed to do management by walking around, you know, be out on the floor, be out with the people. Well, for some people that induces anxiety and right. panic attacks when the executive comes walking down the hall and stops by my cube to just see how I'm doing and how my weekend was. For some people that doesn't make them feel included in part of the team, it, it, it sends them into a panic attack. So let's just be aware. Let's have, yes, I agree. I agree. It, I agree. And, you know, it's so um, interesting. If you look at how IT is thriving and able to work remote with high success rates, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I know corporations are starting to bring people back hybrid and all of those things, but that group of individuals for the technology are they're thriving and then you look at some of the creative space right um you know disney is is a prime example of this they're wanting to get their people back right away because they're missing that you know creative edge that the collaboration you can't simply get it off of zoom or teams or you know online right you're mm-hmm. you're really thriving off of each other from being in a room together but with mm-hmm. it and it's it's to your point different groups of people, right? And for your book, I think it's important that everyone reads it because, you know, you mentioned marketing departments and accounting departments. Well, they all they all relate to IT, right? If you're really looking holistically at an organization, they're all interacting with one another. And so for, and even for IT individuals, right? We need a book for IT individuals that talk about people in in different organizations and and how to relate to those individual and you know yeah, people absolutely. as well right so mm-hmm. so the more that we become collaborative and really have an understanding of each other i think the better you know the better the business and the alignment will be with the people yeah. not necessarily just it but with everyone the more, right the more effectively we'll be able to reach our objectives together absolutely okay tell me this what is the plan are you planning on writing another book because I will be in line. I have the second book mostly written in my head. 
Uh, I need to get it down on paper and I've given myself, I've given myself uh, three years to do that. So it's not going to be next year, but I'm, I'm giving myself a little time, but yeah, I'm excited. So let me know when you do, because I've told so many people about your book and it was funny. Um, uh, a friend of ours had, uh, Danielle, I think who, who, you know, Mm -hmm had mentioned to me that she was talking to someone and they had already purchased your book and had already read it. But anyway, just kind of winding down, we, we wind down the podcast with something fun. Um, and it's called the fast five. Yep. And so I'm going to throw at you five questions and just rapid fire. And, and you, you provide me answers. So the first one is what is your favorite professional book? Can I just go the easy route? I love Brene Brown, but uh, I love her. I, I also love go her. back old school to like Seven Habits, you know that kind of stuff. That oh was yeah, Seven Habits, a highly effective people. Yeah, yeah, yep. for me when I first started. Yeah, yeah. I know um, companies that actually run their organization off of that book, so you have to be open to have read that book. I'm sorry, you have read that book or open to reading that book to become employed there. And so it's, it's, they're serious about it. What's your favorite food? Anything that has avocado, mango, and cilantro. Mm, Get those three in the meal. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Chicken, salmon, whatever it goes with, you know, put all that in there. How do you recharge after a long day? Mm, Well, if I have, if I've been sitting all day, I got to go for a run. I love to run. Um, But if I'm physically exhausted, then I just want to sit on the couch with my family and watch a movie. Speaking of, what's your favorite movie? Ooh. Um, you know, I've always said, I've answered this question for 20 years now and said Shawshank Redemption. And then it just occurred to me of like three months ago that that movie has absolutely zero women in it. So I'm looking for a new favorite movie. Oh, so let me know you're your right. <laughs> you're right. Oh my goodness. You were right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. It's a great movie. Though. It is. It it's is fantastic. Great... But no women. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and your favorite type of music? Uh, what my kids would call boomer rock. I'm not a boomer, but I have a great re- appreciation for classic rock and, you know, even getting a little bit a little bit later. Into- nice, nice. I love it. Mm-hmm. Rachel, it has been phenomenal having you on the podcast today. And I want to have our listeners understand how, how can they reach out to you? What, I mean, and obviously your book, the technology doesn't matter, prioritizing the people in it business alignment. Yeah. How could they reach well, you? They can, LinkedIn they, can the, or? they can get, yeah, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, let's have a conversation. I, I love talking with people um, on LinkedIn. And if you are looking for the book, amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, target.com, a few other, um, a few other outlets, but those are the big ones. And um, I also have a website, RNL Talks, but just go to LinkedIn. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been hugely informative and a lot of great takeaways. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Elevate Your Career podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, excels at finding top-tier tech professionals and matching them with businesses. Whether you're an employer with tech opportunities or a tech professional searching for the perfect role, ITC is your go-to solution. Visit www.irvinetechcorp.com for more information. Once again, 
it's www.irvinetechcorp.com. We'll see you on the next episode.